Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. So I want to start with a story that I wasn't sure if I was going to share, but for the last three days, uh, my wife, Jessica, has been away on a trip, which left me home with my four children by myself, and she, my wife doesn't get back until tonight, so applause, anybody? Thank you, thank you. <laughs> my kids are alive, I'm alive, uh, but I will say this morning, I say this morning, it was the middle of the night, a little bit before 1 a.m., I got surprised with my two-year-old son walking into my room while throwing up. Any parents ever been there? It was obviously something he ate. His throw-up was deep, dark purple, the same color of the ice cream he ate, some kind of dinosaur dragon ice cream. So I cleaned up his sheets. I started soaking them. I was hoping the other kids wouldn't wake up. I was getting everything set. A lot of times when kids throw up once, there's more coming. Can I get an amen that you usually? I waited an hour almost. It felt like an hour, somewhere around there. I was like, all right, Clay, I guess you're good. Your bed is done. I think you're good now. It was a one-time thing. Come on up in my bed. We can, we can snuggle and go back to bed. The second he laid down, take two times two, all over our bed, all over our sheets, all over our comforter, all over both pillows. Why are you laughing? This is not funny. I had to clean all that up. He proceeded to throw up like eight times. And we were both up since 1 a.m. this morning. My oldest daughter, Novi, thankfully, uh, can handle watching him and caring for him. So they are home. And I've got two of my girls here. And it presented a storm for me in the middle of the night, kind of like the storms of life that often come as a surprise. My son walking into my room, covered in purple throw up, was a surprise storm in the middle of my peaceful Sunday morning getting ready to come serve at Graceland Church. I know that is a small storm, but nonetheless, it is a storm. I understand that a lot of us are facing storms that are much more serious. And of course, we have faced the storms of life throughout our lives. And the question becomes, what do we do when we face those storms? All of us have developed some sort of system. What we do when we face something really challenging, when we don't know what to do, when we're struggling, when we're hurting, when we're sinking, we have some way that we handle that, but we're gonna look at a particular story today that hopefully will inform us a little bit more on how to handle facing the storms of life. And we're in this series on the life of Peter, which is one of the disciples of Jesus. Today, we're looking at one of the most iconic stories from his life. The title is Water Walking. And you guys who know the scripture will know some of the story that we're gonna look at. If you have your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 14. If you don't have your, your hard copy Bible, you can go there on your phone or your iPad. It'll also be on screen. Before we look at the story, I wanna set up some of the context because it really helps understand what's going on to see this context. So Jesus and the disciples had just received some really difficult news that John the Baptist, their beloved friend, had been beheaded by Herod. It was a very sobering moment. He was killed. All of a sudden, the potential cost of following Jesus got a lot more serious to these disciples. And we pick up in verse 13 of chapter 14 of Matthew. When Jesus heard what had happened, meaning the death of John the Baptist, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. We don't always look at Jesus in this light, but what I believe part of what he's doing right there is he is going to be alone to grieve the loss of his friend. 
He got in a boat and headed for a quiet place to cry and pray. That's what I believe. But it actually didn't work because people saw the boat and started following him. They started walking along the shore and the crowd got bigger and bigger. And when Jesus finally landed at the quiet place, it wasn't that quiet. There was already a crowd there. And even though he was grieving, he had compassion on this crowd and he began to heal people. This was also the time when Jesus fed more than 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. It was a truly amazing moment. And it's so powerful to understand that the setting of the story we're gonna look at today was an emotional roller coaster for the disciples. And I would say even for Jesus, sometimes life can feel like an emotional roller coaster. There are high highs, there are low lows, there is everything in between. Life can be challenging. Lots of us are in challenging moments right now and we don't always see the disciples and we definitely don't always see Jesus in this light. But the disciples were just young guys who signed up for following Jesus, had no idea what they were doing. Now they saw someone got killed for their faith. Now they're seeing their, their, their Lord Jesus leaving them to be alone, to grieve their seeing Christ. This is an emotional roller coaster. And even Jesus, he was fully God. He was also fully man. Meaning I believe Jesus faced every human emotion that we face. Scripture is clear about that. So this was a challenging moment for Jesus and his disciples. And that's when we pick up in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. So now Jesus is alone praying, but all of his disciples are out there in the boat on the lake. When evening came, Jesus was there alone, but the boat was already considerably a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So apparently the waters were calmer, but now it has turned into a challenging storm. Wind was blowing, waves were getting larger, and the disciples were caught in the middle of this storm. Some further context in verse 25, during the fourth watch of the night, which in our modern terms is around 3 a.m. So imagine the disciples out there without Jesus rowing in the middle of an unexpected storm, kind of like how I felt at 3 a.m. this morning on the second round of throw up with my son, trying to figure out what to do and take care of him, especially with my wife not here. Now, let me clarify. It's so important to note and powerful to note that Jesus was the one that sent them out onto the water. Storms come even when you are following and obeying Jesus. The disciples were not out of the will of God. They were doing exactly what Jesus had told them to do. And now they were in this unexpected storm. So don't necessarily take the unexpected storm that you may be in as some kind of uh, proclamation on your own disobedience to God. Sometimes you're just there because you're in a storm. In that fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now, remember, Jesus is now walking on the water in the middle of a storm. And when the disciples, started, disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. So just when the disciples thought this unexpected storm couldn't get worse, now they thought they saw a ghost. And it's a little bit of a funny picture because these are the hand-picked disciples of Jesus we were gonna take the gospel to the world, now basically acting like junior high girls and screaming in the boat. It says they were terrified and screamed in fear. So they are yelling out in the middle of their terror. And I think it's interesting that these disciples had seen him at one time calm a storm, 
But for whatever reason, Jesus is not with them now. They think there's a ghost out there now. And oftentimes in the middle of a storm, we don't recognize Jesus. We can't even see that he is the one there. In verse 27, Jesus immediately said to them, and I love that word immediately, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. And notice Jesus did not say, peace be still to the storm. He had done that once before and calmed a storm. For whatever reason, this time, Jesus did not say, peace be still. He just said, take courage. It is me and don't be afraid. And then comes really the iconic part of the story. In verse 28, Peter replies to him, Lord, if it's you. And it's a very interesting thing for Peter to cry out because Jesus literally just said, it's me. And Peter now says, Jesus, if it's you. And while it can be a little comical, as I really sat with this this past week, I realized I really identify with this prayer from Peter. Some of you have heard me share some of my testimony, which is I grew up in and around church, fourth generation pastor on my mom's side, pastor's kid, born in a pew basically. But I did not know God until I was 17. And it was at that age of 17 that I began the prayer of an honest seeker, which was basically, God, if this is all true, it was basically me praying, if it's you, because we all have that inner hunger for something. What is it that is beckoning us? What is it that tells us there's more to life? What is it that is speaking to us that is saying we're born for significance? What what is that stirring? And so there I was as a kid saying, Jesus, if it's you, and I basically said the same thing Peter said, if it's you, Peter said, tell me to come to you on the water. And what I was saying was, Lord, if this is you, show me because it will have massive implications for my life. If it's you, I wanna know because if this is all true, I'm gonna be a follower of Jesus and I'm gonna be a water walker. And I had never even thought about this until this week. But when I was 12 years old, the age of some of the kids that are sitting in here right now, I called myself a Christian. I had been baptized, but I was not really walking with God yet. And there was a song that they were singing at the church that my parents worked in, uh, in Virginia Beach, where I grew up, that somehow resonated with me, something kind of like Waymaker. Like if you, if you heard that and it resonated as a kid, I went home and put this song on repeat on my boombox. Remember boomboxes with CD players? Repeat button, bam. I put this song on repeat as a 12-year-old in my messy 12-year-old room, and I opened to this story of Peter walking on the water. For some reason, I was so intrigued as a kid about Peter actually walking on the water. And I got on my knees in my room with my Bible in front of me. It was the first time I had ever done that in my life. And it would be the first of many times I would sit on my knees with a Bible in front of me on my face, not even knowing what I'm doing, but calling out to God. And I cried as a 12-year-old kid in my room. I don't even know what was stirring in me, but I think the Holy Spirit was, was marking me and, and beckoning me and putting that hunger in me. And it, I never came around to my thinking until this week that both of these prayers, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. That's basically what I ended up praying five years later as a 17-year-old. And, and, and ever since, God has called me to a life of water walking. And he wants to call you and has called you to a life of water walking. And it's It's fascinating again, because Jesus could have said to Peter, Peter, I just told you it was me. What's your problem? He could have said to Peter, Peter, I'm tired of you just not getting it. I don't think you should be my disciple anymore. Instead, Jesus said one word, come. I find that remarkable. 
It's in the middle of a storm that Jesus has not chosen to calm. Peter is saying, if it's you, can I come? And Jesus just says, come. Both the question from Peter and the answer from Jesus made no sense. Ridiculous notion, laughable. If you ever feel like God's calling you to do something that's laughable, you're in good company. Even elementary kids know you cannot walk on the water. How many kids know if you walk on water, you're gonna sink right away? We all know it. It's not even a calculated risk on Peter's part. It's just a, what many would call a full-hearted, instinctual risk. But then we read, Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. We usually prefer to be with Jesus in the boat while he calms the storm, not walking on water towards Jesus while still in the middle of the storm. You see the difference? Like our prayers are usually, Jesus, I'll stay in the boat, calm the storm, thank you. Not, I'm gonna jump out on the water and chase after you while we're right smack dab in the middle of this storm. But there's something to this moment that helps us understand our life of faith. Following Jesus requires risk. You were always risking when you were following Jesus. It is not a life of simple, clear safety. It is a life of risk. It is a life when we, will, we do not know what will happen. It demands of us our whole life and it's risk in our relationships. To the story when I was 17, I lost lots of relationships when I became a true follower of Jesus. People did not understand what was going on with me. I was in a visual arts school and they looked at me like I was crazy with this new obsession that I had. There's risk economically. What does this mean for my finances? There's risk in your career. There's risk when you think about your future. The whole endeavor of following Jesus is risk. And then in verse 30, Peter's out walking on the water, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. So when Peter took his attention away from Jesus and focused solely on the storm that was still happening, his doubt his faith turned to doubt. His faith turned to fear. And it's interesting. Apparently, not only did he forget how to walk on water, he forgot how to swim. He's crying out, Lord, save me. I'm sure he knew how to swim. He was a professional fisherman. But in this moment, he was just completely sinking. Because when you focus on the storm, you take your eyes off Jesus and sink. And it's all a matter of perspective. Like the storm doesn't change in its size and scope and God doesn't change in his size and scope. But what we choose to focus on, we magnify. So when we focus on the storm, we magnify it and we start thinking the storm is bigger than our God. But when we focus on our God and focus on Jesus, we magnify the Lord. You've heard that phrase? We magnify God. We make much of Jesus. He hasn't changed and the storm hasn't changed, but we start to see just a little glimpse of how much bigger he is than this puny little storm. But it's not a puny little storm for us. The storm is bigger than us. It's more powerful than us, but it's not bigger and more powerful than our living God. That's the truth. The only way to survive the storms of life is to keep your eyes on Jesus. That's it. I love Jesus' response to Peter when he cried out for help. Because if, if I was Jesus, 
Who knows what I would do when Peter's now crying out for help. I might have been like, what, why are you looking at the storm? I'm right here. Just keep walking towards me. It couldn't be any more miraculous, Peter. We're in it. Come on. But I love, here's the word again. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught Peter and said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And I love this. When you're in a storm or really at any season of your life, you do not have to pray well-thought-out, elaborate prayers. That's not what this thing is about. Definitely not when you're in a storm because Jesus responds to desperate cries for help. I believe that always. I think a lot of times the moment of us connecting with God is just waiting for it to get desperate enough. It's waiting for us to lose enough comforts to realize this is what I need. It's waiting for us to realize all the things that don't work till we look to the one thing that does work. He responds to desperate cries for help. Make no mistake about it. Never wonder or question, should I pray about this? Cry out to God. Call out to God. Talk to God about everything. The truth too. Pour, I love the Psalm talks, uses the language, pour out your hearts to God. And again, it's so interesting. When Peter cried out, Jesus did not stop the storm. Wouldn't that be the easy answer? Peter knew how to swim, stop the storm, and let Peter swim back to the boat through calm water. But Jesus didn't stop the storm. Instead, he reached out his hand and picked up Peter. Jesus was with Peter in the storm. And when they climbed into the boat, then the wind died down. <laughs> Good timing, God. Now that I'm at peace, now that I've reached out my hand to his hand and caught it, maybe then the storm dies down. But I think it's important for us to realize our desperate cries for help don't always mean an immediate change in the storm. But what I think can be immediate is your sense that he is with you and he's the Lord of the storm because he's the Lord of all. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. Our only response to the intervention of this great savior in our life is worship and adoration of our king. That's the response. I, earlier, their responses when they would see miracles were things like, who is this one who can command the sea? Who is this one who speaks with such authority? But now they've come to the moment where they just bow down and worship. And you might be in that process in your life too. God might show up powerfully in your life and you might not bow down and worship yet. You might just be like, who is this one who has power? Who is this one who beckons to me? But I'm telling you, God wants to get you to the place when, when he shows up in your life and at all times in your life, you bow down and worship. Face to the floor, everything is his. As the team comes back up, I'm gonna read a story about one of my favorite songs ever. And we sang it already, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. I love this song. It's one of my dad's favorite songs too. And I wanna read you some of the history of it. If you'll just pay attention to it, this is a powerful story. Then we're gonna sing it again. And we're gonna have a time of prayer just to focus our attention on him. The song was written by Helen H. Lemmel in 1922 and inspired by the life of a missionary named Lilius Trotter and based off of a poem she had written entitled Focused, A Story, and a Song. So here's a bit about this missionary named Lilius Trotter. She lived from 1853 to 1928, was originally from London, England, and was an artist who had a potential career path direction if she chose to take it. Famous art critics saw her early work and were even willing to invest in her training because of the potential they saw in her art. 
While she loved art, she also felt a calling from God to reach the lost. She began engaging in this call while in London by going out into the streets in the late hours of the night by herself to reach and rescue prostitutes off the street. She also felt a calling to share Jesus with the unreached people groups in Algeria in Northern Africa. Responding to this calling would come at a great cost as it would require her to lay down her budding career. As she responded to the call, no mission agencies would send her there or support her. Not deterred, she decided to still follow the call of God to Africa and go by herself. She lived among the nationals in the hiddenness of the desert for 40 years. There in the desert, Trotter knew what it was knew what it was like to be stripped from every distraction to focus upon the face of Jesus. She had laid her life down for that one purpose. While there, she wrote the poem that later inspired the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And listen to this paragraph. If Lilius Trotter's one yes to surrender all to Jesus and to live 40 years in the hiddenness of the desert had no other impact other than inspiring a song that is still drawing people to focus their full attention upon the face of Jesus over 100 year, years later, I'd say it was worth it. Even this morning, as I studied in my office before our first service, as the team began to sing this song, I sat in my chair upstairs and just cried in the presence of God as I turned my eyes upon Jesus. And the storm that that missionary faced 40 years in the desert, I don't know what the, happened in those 40 years of her life and what her fruit was there in Africa, but one thing that we know did come of it was this phrase, turn your eyes upon Jesus, and this full poem that then got turned into this song that has now encouraged and blessed millions, I'm sure, of people around the world through multiple generations to fix their full attention on Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And that's one of the promises about any storm we're in. It might not be a poem or a song with you, but God will use whatever storm you're in for purposes that you know not of. There are things that he will do in and through your life and for others because of exactly what you're in right now. And it will trickle further than we can realize. Nothing is wasted as we know and follow Jesus. Isn't that good news? Let's pray. God, thank you that whatever moment we are in, you are with us. We might be in the middle of the emotional roller coaster. We might feel devastated. We might be nervous to take a step of faith. We might be sinking and crying out for being saved. We might be doubting the whole thing. We might be feeling embarrassed after the whole ordeal. Wherever we are right now in this moment, Jesus, we fix our attention on you. We do what the song says. We do what scripture says. And we turn our eyes upon Jesus. Let's just make an altar wherever you are, kids included. Let's just sing. Let's just do this chorus a couple times, guys. Let's just do this chorus. And church, you guys know it. Let's sing it together. Lord, I pray for each person here, each person watching online, that this, this melody would get ingrained into their life. And whatever habit they've had when facing a storm or whatever habit they've had when faced with walking on the water or when faced with sinking, I pray that it would be replaced entirely by turning our eyes upon you. We pray that you will help us, God. We pray that as our gaze is set, our whole lives would be oriented in a new direction. And we can choose this direction again every single day. We can choose to go your way. Thank you for the gospel that gives us the chance, the open door. That's how you made the way for us to make this decision. Thank you for your forgiveness, your mercy, 
Thank you for your unending patience, God. Thank you for your relentless love, God. Thank you for the word immediately, twice in this story, when we were seeing human frailty and failure. It says, immediately you step in. Immediately you speak. Immediately you reach out your hand. So I pray that those here would sense that immediately you are reaching out their hand to save them. Immediately you are reminding them, it is I, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I pray everyone would be encouraged and strengthened, including our kids today. I pray that the kids of our church would know you, God, that they would have moments similar to what I had at 12 years old and, and far beyond, God, that you would mark their lives right now for the rest of their life, that they, were, they would be oriented after you, God. Their hearts would be set in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I pray this benediction, um, I should have said, let's do it the way the kids do it. How do the kids say amen? I think it's yes. And everybody said yes. That's how the kids do it. That's really what amen means. It means I agree. That's awesome. Um, I'm going to pray a benediction and we'll be dismissed. But before I do, I want to let you know next Sunday, we're going to take a break from the series and we're going to have a really good friend of mine who's one of the just all-time amazing missionaries that I've ever had the privilege of knowing and walking with. Him and his family of four uh, moved out to the Somalia area of Africa over a decade ago. They've raised their kids there too, are now in college, and they've just sensed that God was calling them, much like the missionary we just read about. Amazing man and family of faith. They're gonna share the full message next week, right before they go back to the field in just a couple months, and they'll be there for another four years. So please come out. Uh, next week. We'll, we'll still be online. We'll be, a, we'll be a little limited online with what we can fully say because of some of the sensitivity of their work. But come, we're going to take an offering too, by the way. We're going to give them something no matter what and cover some costs, but I'm going to ask you guys to give towards that ministry just as a heads up and you'll get to hear about it. So if you know you love to give to those things, come ready. If you need the checkbook, come ready, whatever it is. Um, we, we are a church that resources will flow through to the purposes of God in the world, Right? That's the purpose. May the resources of God flow through us to whatever God wants to do in our church and to everyone around us. That's our prayer. So benediction out of Ephesians 3. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. In Jesus' name, amen.